Welcome to Let's Hear It. Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric, and I'm Kirk. And I'm Eric. The podcast is sponsored by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and the Lumina Foundation. Thank you so much for your generous support. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena a little more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast, and you can email us at hello at Let's Hear It Cast.com. Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show. And if you like the show, please, please rate us on iTunes so more people can find us. Yes, what he said. Now, let's get to the show. Let's hear it. And here we are, everybody, for another episode of Let's Hear It. Are you, Mr. Are you going to say welcome in like you work at Starbucks? Yeah, come on. It's you time always to say, say welcome in. You always say welcome, welcome. in. It's like, hey, welcome let's, on in. Let's go to Kirk's <laughs> Starbucks podcast. Yeah, that's right. It's just a nice little... Friendly get together and uh, I feel welcome. Ah, welcome, welcome, um, happy welcome, Mr. Brown. You've done it again. You have done it again. I've um, done nothing. Stop it! Us, I didn't do it. Whatever, whatever you us, say, I didn't do. Oh, Take this it is, back. This is quite the meal. I would say this is quite the meal ahead. Um, tell us who we're about to hear from, and then I want to I want to jump back before we jump to the interview. We are listening to. We're going to hear an interview with Lisa Witter who runs an organization called Apolitical. And Lisa has been in the communications for social change business for a couple of decades. And she has taken what she has learned over these years and turned it into a company, actually a, I think it's called an S-Corp, which is a corporation. B-corp. A B-Corp, sorry, a B-Corp. Yes. What's an S-Corp? Is it different? That's, that's, different the one I, that's the one I didn't become this year. A yeah. B-Corp, <laughs> <laughs> right. which is a, a company that does good things. And her and she will you'll hear from her about apolitical, but it is an a company that helps elected and appointed and the bureaucracy and the people who do government learn from each other. And it is so cool. So at the very end of this interview, which is extraordinary, uh, Lisa refers to a webinar that she's giving. And I think we would be doing a host malpractice if we didn't pull this right up front, Eric, because um. Once you hear from Lisa, you're going to realize you're going to want to do this webinar. The webinar is entitled How to Persuade Others Using Behavioral Science, a Master Class for Public Servants. And you'll hear in the minutes ahead that this indeed will be a master class. The webinar is happening probably before this podcast drops, but I would encourage you to go online at apolitical.co and um, get the uh, get the info about it because I'm sure they'll post it and memorialize it for everybody. So Lisa Witter, um, it's a B Corp because, as she says, it, they're a for-profit company that gives a damn. Right. <laughs> and you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna hear a lot about why and how. Lisa Witter, thank you for joining us. This is Lisa Witter from Apolitico on Let's Hear It. Welcome to Let's Hear It. I'm thrilled to be across the across the pond with Lisa Witter. Lisa. I don't even know where to begin to talk about how to describe who you are and what you've done. Although I'll say right now that you're the co-founder and executive chairman of Apolitical. And we'll talk about whether you call, why you call yourself a chairman, but that's okay. I'm sure that you have a great reason. And But you've done so many other things. I've known you for so long. You used to run Fenton. You were on television. And I thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's such my pleasure. And I'm so glad to do this 
podcasts, you have such a flair for um, both uh, content and entertainment. So I am sure um, we're going to make this <laughs> both fun and useful for people, right? Because we're driven by both those things. <laughs> It'll be flary. Flary. It'll be full of content. And I always say that if it's that we, we want to be entertaining and if somebody learns something out of it, well, that's fine. It's like Seinfeld's wife who puts the beets in the chocolate cake so the kids will eat it. <laughs> That's us. That's going to put the beets in the cake. <laughs> That's right. But, but the cake will taste good. How are you, Lisa? I'm great. I'm great. I'm sitting here in Berlin, about a um, five-minute walk from where the where the wall used to be. I'm in the former east. Mm. Is that Prince Lauerberg? Yeah, Mitte Prince Lauerberg. Good. You know your you know your geography here, and it's been an interesting time because we've been celebrating the 30th anniversary of the wall coming down. Mm. And it's an interesting place to be away from the United States for your listeners who are in America who are dealing with, I would say, political polarization is the the, the light way to put it, um, to a place that's really introspective a lot about the role of, of politics um, and its history. So I spend a lot of time um, in introspection about democracy and the role of communications and policy and how it impacts people's lives. So I, f- I feel really fortunate to have built um, what I hope is a bridge near what used to be the wall. That's it's an interesting point. First of all, because it apparently Germany is the savior of democracy on earth, and who would have thought? So there's there's that. <laughs> Which yeah, is yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's interesting. Like you know, having cultures that are reflective, maybe not. You know, to, to go, what can we learn from the past, and how do we do that better? Instead of saying we know how to do everything great all the time. So it's this kind of mindset about learning, um, which I find, which I find really helpful. Yeah, no kidding. When people ask me what I think will happen in the future, all I can say is that there have been really challenging times in other places and they've gotten through it. And I often cite Germany as an example, although I don't, you are quite right that if introspection is the quality that you need in order to be a successful society, then we have some work to do. Let's just dive right in. I'm, I'm fascinated by apolitical. For one thing, you're a political person. You think yeah. in terms of politics and decision making, and even and, even and power you, and power and power. And power. Yes, and when yeah. you were at Fenton, you did a lot of work along those lines. And it feels to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that that apolitical is kind of the culmination, or it's the the a logical next step. Maybe you're not going. I think you have a lot more to do in your life, Lisa. But the logical next step for everything that has come before. Can you talk about what what this apolitical thing is and why why it matters yeah well maybe maybe let me just back up a back bit back up um, as like as far as you like to, to my childhood <laughs> um, you know eric funny. i don't know if you know this about me but my mom went into um labor with me at a demolition derby on the fourth of july at evergreen <laughs> speedway um where my uncle um was a race car driver and he didn't oh. win the demolition derby. But I, you know, I, I, my mom says I came into the world with a bang. Um, <laughs> I was nearly, well, I, was, I was nearly 10 pounds. A, a we, we all did, but <laughs> we all did. Da, 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 da. So, so, uh, you know, it wasn't my coming, you know, being nearly birthed on the 4th of July that made me political. I was really, really shaped, um, by, by two things. Um, in my childhood, besides the unconditional love of my parents. Um, but that, that unconditional love, and I feel really lucky, um, to be able to say that I've worked a lot on, 
violence against children and um, a lot on violence in particular. And you, you realize not everyone gets that that love. And I feel it's a privilege and something to do work on. But the two things I loved growing up as a kid was winning. I was a competitive athlete. I played basketball, softball, volleyball, um, soccer, every sport you possibly could. And I played to win. I, I, I just played to win. My nickname was Animal. Um, I was born in 1973, the year of Title IX, um, which was a really – these years when Title IX was coming in, it was the great po- both um, activism and uh, policy advocacy and legal advocacy of folks like Billie Jean King and many other women, uh, some men too, who said that boys and girls um, should – have equal access to sports because it's transformative for their lives and society's lives. And what I really loved about this, that is maybe we can jump forward and talk about like how boring some policies are, but what a big profound effect these things have. So the other thing I loved was going to church every Sunday with my grandmother. I, I was a kid who purposely got lost in supermarkets to hear my own name over the loudspeaker. So I loved entertaining from a very small age. And the way that my grandmother got me to church was saying I could sing and dance and eat cupcakes and help old people. And like, that's what I want to do. And I'm not religious now at all, Eric, but I definitely learned to be part of something bigger than me um, and to build a community of people who care deeply about others. So if you love, if you love that, that sense of sort of a higher purpose and a bigger purpose than just your own needs. Um, and you love winning, you go into politics because if you go into politics, there's a campaign, which I find a beautiful way to engage folks. And like you said, I, I did run for president on a reality TV show where I kissed <laughs> babies and I love retail, as we say, retail politics. I love campaigns as a way to co-create what sort of policies and values and society we want. Um, I, and, and politics is really a way to do that. But the reason why you go into politics is so that when you win, you have the momentum and the, and the coalitions of people behind your back to go and make policy change. And in the end, that's what I'm, that's what I'm really about. So that's a long winded way to say that for me, apolitical is about that because you realize a lot of the policies that impact our lives are not um, extraordinary political. I'm not naive. You know, everything is political in some way. But so much of the things that impact your lives are driven by public servants, um, the men and women um, and multi-gender. I was just reading about gender um, yesterday because I'm working on a project on this. There are 52 genders now. It's fascinating. But the multitude of one people for every day of the week, everyone a week of the year, and one for every day. Yeah, <laughs> almost. Yeah. And um, what what I love about apolitical is I get to work with the largest workforce in the world. These are public servants, 200 million people. I get to um, help them figure out how to best spend their money. They control 40% of GDP, which means they spend 40 cents of every dollar. And and politics informs and definitely influences and even drives a lot of that. But a lot of it isn't driven by politics. And so I really wanted to do something that had the biggest impact at scale. And that that is building um, apolitical. And ostensibly, we're a peer-to-peer learning platform to help folks in government and politics um, find the inspiration and the best policies and the skills and the knowledge they need to help society um, flourish. So it's it's really an honor. We are we have just taken off like a rocket ship, and we can talk more about the tra- trajectory about that and why I'm a chairman um, and not a chairperson because yeah. it is part of the story. It is part of the story for sure. Tell me that story. 
Well, we're a B corporation, which basically means we're a for-profit company that gives a damn and holds ourselves to very high standards. Um, and we wanted to be a for-profit company for two reasons. Um, one, we needed the capital. Um, we needed investment capital to uh, reach the vision we want of um, improving every person on the planet's lives in some way through better, more effective evidence-based policy and by motivated workforce. And we we wanted to not only attract investment capital, but also make profit to reinvest back into the business. And if you're uh, two women starting a technology company, even very strong women who have played the game, who have the credentials, all of that, if you call yourself a co-CEO or a chair or a chairperson, a lot of traditional investors tell you you shouldn't do that because um, you look weak. And I am willing to fight lots of battles, but to fight that battle is one I am not willing to fight. So I, you know, I call myself chair. I mostly call myself Lisa. Um, but if I have chairperson on my chairman on my card, I'm totally fine for that. That's not the fight that I want. I want the fight to have every public servant using us so that we, we make the change that we want. Now, can I can I give you an upside of being a woman in tech? Yes, you, in this can, space? Me, you can say whatever you want. This is your well, that, that, time, that upside, Lisa. Well, I, I get really—it's pretty depressing in this sort of Me Too and all this bad stuff about being a woman, and all that stuff is true, and I believe women and all those things. But I don't want to focus on the downside. I, I only I want to also focus on the upside, and one of the upsides. Um, of being a woman in technology, particularly a woman working in the GovTech space, because that's the market that we're in, is this government technology space, which is a $400 billion market around the world, which we're excited to tackle, is that when we go to do deals with government, people say they trust us more. They're like, oh, two women, you actually really care about the world. You're not out to just screw us. So there are some advantages to being a woman in tech, and that's one of them. So I'm really happy to celebrate that. Let, let, now let's go back a little bit because you have had a really interesting career. And I, like I said, we've, I've known you for uh, a long, long time. Almost yeah. twenty, almost twenty years, I at guess. Le at least, but probably more than that. Actually, I think about the trajectory. Probably a little bit more. But uh, obviously, we met. I think we met when you were at Fenton. Yeah, and and you were running Fenton. Now, Fenton was is a extremely well known one of the kind of the the biggies of social communications, nonprofit communications, communications for social good. Pick your descriptor, and you rose in the ranks to become its. President? What was your, what was your yeah, title? One of, I, I ran the place. I had lots of different titles. But yeah, I was 25, I think, when I took over the company. So you were I was, showrunner. I was showrunner. I was a showrunner. <laughs> show I, show. I did everything there. I did that. I was, I was the big cheese. Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, maybe back to my, my love for politics um, and policy, which I'm an equal political geek. Um, sorry, policy wonk as I am a of a, a politico. And I really consider myself a policy political entrepreneur. That's really like in the end how I think of myself. When I got early days into politics, I really thought that the best ideas and the best people would win. It was really, it was, it was about the quality of the ideas. And you quickly learn out, learn um, from experience that like within three seconds that it's not the best ideas that win or the best people that win. It's the best sold people and ideas. And I looked around and I thought, God, everything I care about and the people who I see as good leaders don't get this. 
they're they're very well they're just such earnest people trying to make a difference in the world and solve these problems like no we've got to understand this a little bit more so i that's when i decided to first get into communications social change communications and it wasn't that i necessarily loved communications i loved influence and that's a big differential i loved influence and at my time at Fenton, because I got recruited into into this running, basically I was running campaigns on the outside and they said, come on in and run campaigns on the inside. And I didn't know this, but I ended up being a, a good capitalist. Um, I really love the structure of running businesses and being accountable for profit and loss statements and hiring people and structures and building teams. I really, really love this. I credit a lot of that back to my, my days in sports, you know, building teams and being accountable to those teams. I realized that a lot of the work that we were doing over the years was a lot of guesswork or I would say even passion work. And I wanted to be better at understanding the evidence base around how the brain works and how people make decisions and how influence works. So in the middle of my time at Benton, I wrote a book around some of this, particularly around how to engage women. Um, it's called The She Spot. <laughs> say that again. The She Spot. Um, uh-huh. How this. women are the market for changing the world and how to reach them. And I and I co-authored that with my my colleague um, at the time, Lisa Chen, who's an amazing communications professional and a poet and professional writer. And we called it yeah, she's amazing. And we called it the she spot um, because if I called it how to reach women, you would like fall asleep. But if I call it the she spot, um, <laughs> even guys like you laugh at that because it's a beautiful thing that 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 thing that the, the she spot is. Even guys like me. Even guys like you. You know the earnest ones. <laughs> The earnest, the, the right. good ones. Yeah? I'll, I'll take it as a as a modified compliment. It is the biggest compliment in the world. Um, <laughs> and I I got really deep into this brain stuff, and um, from then uh, for six years sat on a global agenda council for the World Economic Forum on brain and behavior with the leading brain and behavioral scientists because I wanted to understand how do you bring all of that, like what Danny Kahneman's teaching us about um, behavioral economics and what guys like Paul Dolan are teaching us about social norms and and guys like David Halperin who created the um, the nudge unit inside of the, the UK government, which was the real breaking through. And I wanted to understand how to use all of that in the context of influencing people to pass policies and um, engage in, in their democracies. And I and I did. I mean it's a constant um, it's a constant sort of I wouldn't say people struggle, but it's a, it's a journey and a pleasure. I moved to Berlin, Eric, because I was going to take a year sabbatical and write a book about all the things I learned running for president on a reality TV show and what that has to do with the brain. And because I'm a serial entrepreneur, I ended up starting companies. But I'm still deeply um, in the literature and around the science of how the brain works. And I really, for, for those communications professionals that listen to this, it's not that you're missing a trick. If you're not geeking out on this stuff, you're missing it. It is a brain game and it is learnable and teachable and measurable. It's not a silver bullet, but you're kind of walking blind if you don't understand the guardrails of the brain. And so all of that sort of insight and brain and behavioral science, both AI and tech is what we bring to apolitical to to help communicate these effective policies in a much better way. Well, the, this brain stuff I, blows my mind. We're going to take a quick break to rest the mind, and we'll be right back with Lisa Witter. You're listening to Let's Hear It, a podcast about foundation and nonprofit communications hosted by Kirk Brown and Eric Brown. 
Let's Hear It is made possible through the generous support of the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and the Lumina Foundation. You can find Let's Hear It online at letshearitcast.com or on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate us on iTunes so more people can find us. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. And we are back with Lisa Witter of Apolitical. We were just talking about the brain. And I have to say, here's the thing. I was in Cuba, actually, with John Powell, and we were joined by a brain scientist, a woman named Tanya Singer, from the Max Planck Institute Mm. over there. Mm -hmm. And she put people's heads in MRIs or CAT scans or whatever and exposed them to things that elicited empathy, which is taking on the suffering of others. Uh, versus compassion, which is helping relieve the suffering of others. And what she realized was that most of the folks in our field are in the empathy side, and it causes burnout and all sorts of challenges, whereas where we need to be is in the compassion side, which is that we feel like we're actually doing something positive to address those problems. And obviously she could prove it with brain scans and things like that. To what extent are you – tell me more about what you're doing on, on on the brain stuff and whether this actually fits in or I'm just making this up or I get excited about things that I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it's very uh, – these brain scans are, are fascinating. Obviously, it's a breakthrough um, into the mind that we've never had before. There are limitations into the so what about them. So – for example, um, the use of graphics and visuals as shortcuts. Um, research says that the, bre- the brain decodes those visuals 60,000 times faster than text. So that's interesting, right, to know that. But do we know yet, with as much clarity as you can know in science, whether that means that it's going to stick deeper or longer? So we know a lot of surface stuff about the brain, but we don't know as deep of stuff about from like this MRI imaging that we'd like to know. And I I think that we're going to get there for sure with understanding it. And there's some huge both intellectual and ethical questions about how much we should know about consciousness um, and the ability to to code or recode consciousness, which is I find quite an interesting thing. The work I use is understanding sort of how dopamine works in the brain and how cortisol works in the brain, knowing the brain chemical reactions that are going on and what triggers certain emotions like mirror neurons and things that are going on that that are important to understanding and influence. I use those and I use the theories that brain and behavioral science use everything from social norms to the messenger effect to the role of loss aversion to salience to novelty to scarcity. I use all of these kind of a checklist to develop ways to communicate and create moments. Now, Apolitical is a peer-to-peer technology platform where you can come. It's kind of people have recently said, I feel like you're a little bit more like Netflix than the BBC in terms of like understanding politics or using like (laughs) edutainment to understand policy. But what's been really fun, and you experienced a little bit of this, we were recently together at the Communications Network Conference in Austin. I use a pretty intense checklist from behavioral science to develop and execute meetings. Um, At Apolitical, we do a number of things called Apolitical Live, which is bringing together often like a foundation 
with policymakers to explore either a new intersection in a, in a topic. For example, we've worked with the Bernard Van Leer Foundation and bringing together people who work in city planning and early childhood development people to say, hey, what does designing a city for a kid look like? So we do this a lot. Um, I just did this uh, alongside a WHO meeting on mental health with about five governments, sort of ministers of mental health and a bunch of foundations who, who are interested in looking at maternal mental health issues, um, which is a real crisis. Suicide rates um, of women um, with new babies are very, very high, and particularly in in difficult environments, as, as, as you can imagine. So we use these insights in behavioral science to really change um, the dynamics of meetings. Like, for example, if you're in an intimate meeting and you don't want everyone to just get along, you want to really get to the heart of what a problem is. Oftentimes getting to the heart of what a problem is, you need to have people disagree with one another. Now, those of us who are very empathetic, going back to your brain thing, we don't wanna be mean to one another. We find conflict and there's some cultural things in this, quite difficult. So one thing I often do is start off meetings with a competition where people, there are winners and losers to like prime people to sort of go at one another or, I, I make people wear devil's advocate ears because you want you need someone in the space to say the opposite of the group think. Or if I really want to make sure that I deepen people's commitment to the issue, I do two things. One, I prime the personal. So if you if you start off a meeting, people talking about the personal reasons about why they're there. So I started talking to you about what I wanted to be when I was little, like as a child, it's done very purposely to prime what's personal and authentic in people. And then for the rest of the meeting, they take off the only having the institutional hat and then the real head and heart shows up. And that's what's sort of building deep, trusting relations. So we build this into every single thing we do from like the colors of rooms and materials to the music we play in the background to how we put the clicks and bites and how, how we ask people questions. And it's meant as a loving way to best engage people. That is so that is so interesting. It doesn't surprise me in the least, but none of, not very many people I know have those kinds of tools at their disposal. It's out there, but it's not a uh, part of the culture. And obviously, I mean we could talk about meeting culture and presentation culture and all that stuff in our in our field till we're blue in the face and and not see enough change, but I'm just fascinated to know when you're going to give us all the Give it all in one place so that we can to, so that we can all use these great techniques to to well, much better I'm, effect. I'm, I'm actually working. Do you have something? Yeah, I'm working, working on writing um, a guide Good. which may turn into a book. Um, and I and I do this from a very heartfelt place because most people don't get much out of these very expensive and important opportunities we have to a break through on an issue and really you know, move, move the needle on something, but B we're wasting our lives. I mean, I, I spend so much time away from my kids and I do it because it's important. And what I'm doing, I believe in both building this, this thing and I'm doing apolitical, but also, you know, I'm, I'm fresh off the plane from Cape town where I was running a bunch of sessions on um, ending sexual violence against women and girls and, and boys, um, uh, everyone. And, it's too hard on you as a person if you're not going to make it impactful. So I'm working on something right now. I'd be very, very happy to 
to share it with your with your audience. Everything we do um, at Apolitical, it's really meant in, in a way to be open sourced. So I wrote a, a piece recently on what we've learned about how to communicate with public servants that's alike or different. I try to write and open source that to anyone who's really interested in and in, in changing and affecting policy because that's the only way we're going to do it. And I believe that generosity breeds wealth. I mean, the wealth of everything. I really want listeners to know that one of the keys to doing this to like effectively impacting people is to have fun. And there's lots of research behind this. And, and imagine like walking into a room of bureaucrats, how often do they have fun and how appropriate has anyone thought? And what they forget is that people in government are people too. And they want to do serious work, but have serious fun doing it along the way. And I'm super excited that one of the values of apolitical is is always public servants first, but it's always towards delight and pleasure. And we really try to bring a whole different look and feel to engaging with policymakers. And that's just a big tip to your listeners. Remember that they are people too. They have all the constraints plus more than you do, but they have much more power to scale things. And so treating them as humans and using the guidelines of psychology and behavioral science while not manipulating. I'm very open source about this in meetings. I'd be like, I'm using behavioral science to design this meeting and this is what I'm going to do and this is how you're going to feel while you do it. There's no Wizard of Oz where there's a curtain. This is what we're going to do to make the best of it. So it's, it's come, it comes from a place of deep integrity and I'm happy to share that with people. Ooh, I, I can't wait. I honestly, I really, really can't wait. What is the, what's your favorite fun thing to do in a room full of bureaucrats? I like them um, to, I often, one of the things we do is we give them Lego and we have them build um, the moment they decided that they wanted to become in public service. What was that moment? And so they, they, they get into their they use their hands and they they're by themselves and then they bring it together with teams and they can see they start building communities together with the Legos. And so what we try to do is what happens as adults, something happens with us. And you're really good at this um, about not being stuck in this space. We get stuck in this cerebral part of our brain and we forget to use our hands and our creative side. And so we often are priming people to to do that. We, we ran a meeting on mental health and we had everyone blow up balloons, which was fun in and of itself because it kind of, it was right at the beginning because I was priming for the personal and, you know, balloons pop and hot air goes flying out and people balloons yeah, and they make farting noises and everyone has fun. And then we had them draw the look on their face when they're stressed. And then they introduce <laughs> themselves with that. And then at the end, like everyone sort of threw the balloons all around and celebrated. And I know this sounds so silly, but If you do not get people's feet flat on the ground talking about the hardest issues, we're talking about, you know, everything from sexual violence to climate change, you cannot have breakthroughs. You cannot just mind your way through this if it's about working with people. So that that same experience, which we call a political live, we do that through learning and engagement and social learning on the platform. And we think we can really bring a revolution. We were super proud to be named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies in 2018. And we got a disruption award the year before saying that we quite possibly could be a company that impacts everyone in the world's lives and by doing it with this open source integrity. And we are open book about how we run our business, what our business model is, really trying to do things in, in new and better ways, showing that you can run companies and 
and have social impact and not just do philanthropy after you're rich. Like we're, we're building an impact along the way. There's nothing wrong with philanthropy, but we want to build new types of businesses that are, that, that impact is built into the, to the business model. Where do you see this all going? Where, what's, what's the world look like in five years? Well, I'll tell you what a political looks like in five to 10 years. And then we can talk about where we think the world is going. What we are, our big vision is we have two parts of the company. We have the the B Corporation, which is starts off as this peer-to-peer learning platform. We're moving into a paid subscription model with deeper learning. And then eventually we want to be the GovGraph, kind of like the Alexa for government without any of the creepy part about that. So making it really easy. We do not have a knowledge problem around policies, but we definitely have a a real-time connecting people to the right inspiration, knowledge, and ideas. And we, we see that being a, a big, big opportunity to to help. One-third of the World Bank's reports aren't even clicked on once, and there's really important information that could help impact people's lives. We hope to, in five, probably more like seven to ten years, have a, have a significant exit in a very responsible way. And from day one, we created a foundation called the Apolitical Foundation, which we have granted stock and put resources into through a joint venture with the Daniel Sachs Foundation and some other foundations where we're running um, nonpartisan political training programs. So Apolitical Foundation or an an academy. We just ran our first cohort um, in Southern Africa and we do work in Sweden and we have a global program where I really need to go. I mean, you and I were kids in America when we learned the song Conjunction. No, what was it? I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. You know, when we were yep, really um, right. schoolhouse, schoolhouse rock. Yeah. My life has been full of like pit crews <laughs> and uh, demolition derbies and, and billionaires and heads of state. So I've been really privileged um, and continue yeah, to be too. in all of those worlds. And what you realize is even talking to the most educated people in the world, they don't understand the basics of civics and how governments and policies work. And if you don't understand the basics of civics and how governments and policies work, it's very easy to be disappointed in your government. And so we plan to do much more investing and looking for partnerships um, on helping that that citizen intelligence level continue to rise Mm -hmm. with the the both policy and politics level. And I'm seeing a wave of people. I think that we're in a really, a down spot. Uh, that's that's an understatement to say in democracy. Now, we're not at a world war right now in the ways that we ever have been sitting near the wall in former Germany. I can say that with quite certainty. But we are in a war of inequality and climate, which is more of a frog in a pot um, sort yeah. of war. And I think it could go really dark. Or I think that we're going to get right to the edge and we're going to have some breakthroughs of new ways of governing um, and new ways of doing the economy. I think what complicates all of this is to some people is um, a joy and other people is a horror show is the, the role and merging of man and machine, which is why this brain science stuff is super interesting. Yuval Harari's Homo Deus and Sapiens, he has beautiful writing around how we may be merging. So I think there's some really existential questions about what it means to be human. I mean, I was listening to Danny Kahneman this morning on the knowledge project, kind of a summary of his life. And he was interviewed about how to make better decisions for the people because uh, he was talking about all different types of decisions, business, the government, and he answered algorithms, right? Um, and this <sighs> is, you know, this is a psychologist who basically says you can't trust people to make good decisions because they're flawed. 
So I right. think this man and machine faces the biggest opportunity we have and also the biggest threat. And and I feel like the thing that we need in our lives is agility and lifelong learning, which is why at Apolitical, we're, we're not committed to just getting the best policies, but helping public servants get those agile, curious, empathetic skills they need to adjust with like the future that is unknown. You're the happiest realist, mm. I think I I know, because you you know how things work. You have this lightness and this happiness about you and you are undaunted. And I take a lot of inspiration from that. And you're just a great person. I'm so thrilled you're doing this work. And I, I, I will have to come back and continue this conversation because there's just so much more to cover. But Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the work that you do. Thanks for never giving up. Hey, thank, thank you. you. Hey, if I could, <laughs> if I could uh, just add, thank you, thank yeah. you, Eric, and and, and for all your and all your <laughs> listeners. You know, you get up every single day, and you could be doing a million things with your life, um, and you care. And the the one ask I have, and an offer, I like this framework of an ask and offer. The ask I have is that you push yourself to be disciplined. And to have as much excellence alongside of having fun along the way. I mean, I'm really driven by pleasure and purpose. And I've been really asking myself, I'm 46 years old, like, where are my discipline chops to really do what I need to do? When do I really knuckle down and sort of deal with the pain of creation or trying to solve a hard problem. I think it's very easy these days to just go for the easy stuff. Like I just, my, my ask is that you sit in the uncomfortableness of what is now and that we work really hard together. My offer is, is apolitical. We are, you know, free. You should sign up at apolitical.co. We have wonderful courses for people who work in policy, whether you're in government or you help policymakers like many of your listeners do. We have everything from how to be a better collaborator, how to spot bias in your work, to how to write better, be a more effective public speaker. I'm giving a webinar coming up on how to apply behavioral science to communication. So for those of you who care about policy, please, please use us and I will continue to have an open ear to how we can get better and helping you do your work. So thanks, Eric. Thanks for everyone for what they do. Oh, thank you again, Lisa. Lisa Witter of Apolitical. Thank you very much. And here we are back once again. Oh, man, Eric. Oh, man. So so I want to start. <laughs> you off. always say, oh, man. Well, come on. Let's no, you always a, say, oh, man. Oh, man. Let's start a podcast where we just get to listen to you talk to people who are extraordinary about their work. So one of the things that struck me hearing Lisa talk about this and, you know, We've got a bunch of these now, right, that are in the can and a bunch more coming. And we're actually, um, you know, bumping into a year of this. Is this what it's like sitting in a major foundation? You just have genius people come into your office every day, just blow your mind for an hour. And then they leave and say, great, I'll send the proposal. Like, because I feel like that's what we're getting. It's just this, just this home run gallery of just incredible insight after incredible insight. And for Lisa, I have to say, this is the first time in our podcast. I'm just like, wow. I, I think this is, you listen to it three times. You listen on the first read, you listen on the second read for context, and then you actually take notes. I think we need to have her back. I mean, there was so much in here in terms of what she's talking about, but is this what happens? You just hang out in your office and just, and just genius people come by and they just, they just, you know, talk about stuff all the time. Is that what it's like? Uh, if you're the president, 
<laughs> if you're a schmo like me, then you you do stuff and you, I don't know, sometimes you write things and you go to some meetings, some of which are more exciting than others. But <laughs> every so often you you do get to speak to some really fabulous people like Lisa. I could just see, I could just, I got the feel of like Lisa coming in and saying, here, this is what, what I'm working on now. Now she did mention, and we're going to go a little bit out of order because there's a lot to make sure we refer to here, but um, she's written quite a bit. And one thing she wrote was the book she wrote with Lisa. She spot how to reach women. With Lisa Chen. And, yes, Lisa Chen. Yep. And, um, you know, so, so that the description for that is women are a huge, uniquely receptive, but still underutilized audience for a whole range of social and political causes, not just women's issues. In the she spot, Lisa Witter and Lisa Chen, top executives in the nation's largest public interest communications firm. So this is back in the day when they were both there. Explain why. Yep. Yep. FN. Explain why women's enormous potential is still largely untapped. And, um, you know, of the many positive reviews of that here, here, here's a great one from a heavy hitter. This is what Celinda Lake had to say about it. Finally, the book I've been waiting for that connects the dots between the research and what women want and actual ways to reach them. I recommend it to any nonprofit or political candidate who wants to tap into the women's vote and their powers as donors and activists. And I, I kind of wanted to start there because as Lisa describes her process and what a political is about, isn't it amazing and awesome to hear her describe that process as this living, learning journey that she's been on? through her whole career. And she certainly gives us the the beginning point, right? And those personal stories she tells about how she got started. And we can touch on that in a second. But we've been talking a lot in this podcast about the range of experiences people bring to the work, all of the agility they have to do as they go through it, all of the learning we do along the way. Oh my good. I mean, Lisa and her process, isn't this just one of the most wonderful embodiments that we've seen of that in this entire series? I mean, it's just an extraordinary conversation, I think, in terms of what she's accomplished in her career. I'm so I'm so impressed by what she's doing because Lisa has been gathering string for all of these many years, working on a million different kinds of campaigns and things like that, and thinking about the world in political terms, which I think is appropriate because this is you know political terms is is merely a question about who gets what, mm. and understanding that the role of communications and strategy what that what that plays in bringing about the kind of change that I think we all are hoping to bring about and putting it now to use in a form and a format that nobody as far as I can tell has ever done before and that's mm-hmm. really impressive there are a lot of folks out there with a lot of great ideas and she is taking those ideas and creating some kind of really interesting alchemy and I'm so excited about what happens with that, but it is clearly capturing people's attention. As she said, these are her audience control 40% of the world's gross oh. domestic product, <laughs> which is kind of a lot. Noted, underlined, highlighted, yes. <laughs> uh, I also say that this is interesting. We won't get too far into this, but we are seeing right now in as the politics of U.S., madness plays out in front of us that these very decision makers, people who are in the middle of the government, are really powerful and are making important decisions. And if you are able to communicate at that level, you're going to be able to make a difference. Well, this bridge that, um, you know, this journey Lisa has gone from where she talks about loving the campaign work 
you know, and building and building, you know, community around campaign and, and assembling the momentum you need to make change. What did you make, by the way? I thought it was such an interesting aside that she started with the notion that she loved winning. She <laughs> loves to win. And of course, you see that at least in all of her work. But what do you think about that as an instinct? Because, you know, in my experience, I, I have I've really come to believe that, that there are some people that are just hardwired. They want to compete and they want to win. And that's what's fun and, and that's what, you know, gets them going. And then there are other people for whom that's just not their that's not their jam at all. That don't 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 get me any, anywhere near that. And there's something about harnessing that love for winning and that desire, that drive at the end. She talks about it, you know, the need to execute at a high level, but also being able to do that in the context of community. This is I really feel like Lisa's pulling together some very not commonly seen traits and attributes at the same time to cut to, to walk down the path that she's gone with this work. What do you think about that? Well, it's so interesting. I'm so torn on the winning thing. Mm. <laughs> Remember when when the uh, intrepid Maggie Brown was growing up, she said, uh, if we would sit down at a board game, she's like, I don't want to play a winning game. And Aww. she's a creative. And there's certainly a place. There's such an important place in our society for people who bridge across difference, for people who collaborate and and communicate in different kinds of ways. And I know that that Lisa will say, no, 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 I'm definitely doing that too. And she is. But she thinks about it in the context of winning. And I think it's because she thinks about the politics of decision making or how politics affects our lives. And it is in many instances binary. You won or you lost. And so... My sense is that when she says, I care about winning, she means it in a way that is different maybe than uh, most men might think of it or than we would otherwise think of it in our own regular way of thinking about winning and losing and winners and losers. So that's the way I'm going to try and and parse that question, which is that she is competitive, but I do believe that she's competitive – for the right reasons, because she understands how decisions are made today. That's, well, in, that's my answer. Yeah, well, it's a good, in, in insightful, right? So she starts with the story of being born in 1973. That means Title IX. That means she has access to sports. And, and she came in with right? a bang. <laughs> yes, and she comes in with a bang. But she nods to that, that, you know, these policies, sometimes seemingly boring, boring policies have such profound effect. And then, you know, she has the path through all the hardcore campaign work that she's done done on so many different issues in so many ways. And she arrives at this point around a political, this notion that policies that impact our lives aren't extraordinarily political. This is such a genius insight, and it's not just the scale, the 40% of every dollar, 40% of global GDP wrapped around this consideration, but how many times have we thought we won when, uh. in fact, we just hit a, we just had a good foul ball? You know, how many times, <laughs> right? How many, and we all leave the field. We, 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 we go to the big celebration at the, you know, big hotel convention center, look what we accomplished, all of the confetti comes down, and then you leave the the field and you realize that the hard work, the hard churn of change is happening in this other consideration around policy implementation and that 
this this idea in a political that um, you know we actually it sounds like one one way of saying what she said is that we actually have a lot of great ideas like we have great resources on, at hand one third of the World Bank reports aren't even clicked on once you know we know. have we have all of this information in hand what we lack is an active a way to activate it what we lacked is a way to access it through community and that's what a political is providing. Is this not genius? Like, is the, are we not actually hearing genius on this podcast? I mean, we're hearing genius. This is, and this is where I'm like, you got to listen to this. You were sitting in an office for years and people were just coming by like, here's my next genius idea. Here's my next genius idea. <laughs> and what and did I do with all, it? Nothing. Oh, come on. You turned it into, you changed the world. You made the world a better place. But isn't this what we're hearing? Isn't this genius? Well, it's interesting because one of the premises that I've been working off of the, in these last many years is that information isn't enough, that information mm. needs to be partnered with passion and enthusiasm and, and persuasion and things like that. But Lisa is actually tapping into the long tail of decision making in which information is essential and the and making that connection. So she's able to connect the people who actually want information and they're out there, imagine, uh, amazingly mm -hmm. enough, with the information that is there to be had, which hasn't been connected with. That's yeah. pretty interesting. And it is, it's different from what I've been learning and practicing for many, many years. And this is why I really like doing this crazy podcast that you wrote me into is because <laughs> it, it, you know, makes me, it gives me the chance to have those kinds of conversations. I've known Lisa for years. Uh, we haven't really sat down and had this level of conversation. And, uh, you know, with a self, a burp, pull a muscle, pat, patting us both on the back. But it's kind of fun that we get to make this available to others, too. I hope <laughs> if, if you're out there, folks, I hope you're getting something out of it. I've never been more appreciative of the fact that with Students with You, we've got a global audience because here she is in Berlin talking about, you know, the work she's doing around the world, coming back even from, you know, Cape Town, something she'd been doing there. So here's the biggest complaint I have about our podcast, about all these conversations, because we're at time, right? We're going to yeah, jump yeah, we're we're on forever. And we haven't even yet mentioned what behavioral science. We haven't talked about dopamine. We haven't talked about neurotransmitters. We haven't talked about and, and this is the work that um, Lisa's been doing for, for so many years to, to sort of have this part of her thinking sharpened so that can ground what's happening in, in a political. And I would love us to figure out a way to come back on this topic about behavioral science and how it's – Yeah, I it's, love that one. It, because it's – you know, and again, it's like so many times we'll, we'll have this conversation and we'll say, so – what about this was communications? And of course, Lisa's like, so let me connect the dots for you. Right. Danny Kahneman <laughs> says is, this, and so is yeah. that. <laughs> this is why political is entirely about communications. She's pretty but smart. But so, yeah, I mean, extraordinary. So um, I, I would like to put a note in this and say, and again, we've got next year, this will be a series of conversations, but I'd love to open up the behavioral science thread. It's come up a number of times. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the nod to, oh, and we got to figure out this whole thing where we merge people and machines and machine learning and see right. what is ahead on that. Um, so essential. In Which terms Beth of, Cantor was talking about. You, yes. You may recall. Uh, yes. No. So that so it's so. We and, oh, and I will say that my, one of my favorite communications network experiences when was when Sendhil Mullenothan of uh, the J-PAL at MIT who's a great behavioral economist, came and talked to us. And my head fell off. And a whole bunch of people said, I don't understand how this applies to my work. And I think he was, that was a while ago. And I think that mm. if he came back and gave that same talk, a full 
80% of the audience would now understand how it applies to their work. But you're exactly right. That kind of stuff is is so exciting for me. It makes me crazy. It's so exciting. Well, this is, and so let's leave it this, because um, you close with Lisa, you say, where's this going? And she answers at two levels. She's like, what's the world going to look like in five years for a political? What's the world going to look like for the world? And number one, when a political has its exit, I hope that just <laughs> generosity and wealth yeah. rains down. So good luck, you guys. I hope that goes well for you. Um, but it, And, you know, by the way, the let's hear it exit is going to be spectacular. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The, the exit event <laughs> is when one of us drops dead. Yeah, that's That'll right. be the exit. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But <laughs> what's your but, second point? <laughs> but she also talked about this notion of we're kind of in a different kind of um, we're not in a world war, but we're kind of a, in a frog in a pot war that could go potentially really dark, but it could also have this new way and breakthroughs that open up. And it struck me, I'm like, you know, isn't this interesting? We live at this time where we don't know how the story is going to get written anymore, do we? Nope. Somehow over the course of our lives. And, and I, I would say, Eric, I wonder if you would say this. 20 years ago, I think I thought I knew how the story was going to be written. I thought I knew how the next 100 years of the story was going to go. And now today, I couldn't tell you what the next five years of the story look like. Do you agree with that? Yeah, anyone, you who tells you, anyone who tells you they know what's next is, is wrong. How, ex how exciting and how scary is yeah. that? You know, this how is the year that Blade Runner was set. Oh. <laughs> Blade Runner was set in 2019. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that oh, crazy? my gosh. Well, Lisa Witter, the happiest realist that Eric, you know, and um, I would say certainly one of the happiest realists that we've heard on this podcast. But I have a feeling we haven't heard the last, certainly from a political, but I don't know that we've heard the last from Lisa on this podcast. I think there's more uh, ahead um, with her and her work. And again, her webinar, How to Persuade Others Using Behavioral Science, a masterclass for public servants. Um, Please check it out on the Apolitical website and uh, check out Lisa's writing there, too, because there is much, much to unpack here uh, moving forward. Um, Eric, anything else about Lisa's work we want to say besides, oh, my God, thank you? <laughs> no, it's just so much fun. These are really fun. That was a really oh. fun one. And I have been having a great time. So that's all. I hope people are getting something out of it, too. Because we, we sure are. That's true. <laughs> no, this is great. Actually, yeah, okay. We, you know, having a great end, exit. I'm I'm waiting for our entrance. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have an entrance someday. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you, Apolitical. Lisa. All You're the, the success to you and um, everybody. Uh, this was Let's Hear It. Thank you so much. Thanks. Okay, everybody. That's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on the show. And that definitely includes yourself. We'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator, Sarah Morgan, our tireless social and digital media maven, John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Limited Foundation, and the Heinz Endowments, all for their generous support for this work. Oh, and check out Heinz's terrific podcast, We Can Be, hosted by Grant Oliphant at Heinz.org slash podcast. Absolutely. And we certainly thank today's guest and, of course, all of you for listening. And thank you, Mr. Brown. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Till next time. <laughs> Let's hear it.